first reading for the third Sunday of Easter is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry, many, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him much he, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his, this name? And has, not, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by, providing, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. O Lord, have mercy on us. The epistle reading comes from Revelation chapter 5, 8 through 14. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 21st chapter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not very far from land, but a, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, risen from the dead, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. They were enemies when they met in the sky over Germany on December 20th, 1943. Second Lieutenant Charles Brown was just 21 years of age, but he was the pilot of a B-17 flying fortress. 
and he was on a mission. His bombing run had been a success, but his plane had been very badly damaged by flak over Bremen, Germany. The loss of an engine and damage to another one slowed the aircraft and it dropped out of formation and lagged behind the rest and made it really vulnerable to attacks by the enemy. And a dozen German fighter planes had raked the B-17 over and over again, further damaging the plane and wounding pretty much all of the crew, some very badly. And as Charles coaxed the plane back toward the German um, border, back toward England, it was spotted by Germans on the ground, including Luftwaffe ace Franz Stigler, who had 27 victories already. Stigler was refueling his, uh, his Messerschmitt. In, on an airfield there in Germany when the B-17 flew over. And so he caught up with the crippled craft, thinking to knock it out of the sky, but through the damaged air, airframe, he was able to see the crew. He saw what bad shape the plane was in and what bad shape the crew was in. And so he pulled his fighter alongside the B-17. The uh, crew of the B-17 expected that he was about to shoot them down, but instead, Stigler escorted the B-17 to Allied uh, airspace, and he pointed them on the right heading to head them back to England. And then he saluted and turned away. Stigler later said that he had been taught not to shoot at a, a pilot who was in a parachute, parachuting to earth. Uh, when he was in training, he had one trainer who drove that point home with him, and he said to me, the crew of that plane were just like they were in a parachute. I saw them, and I could not shoot them down. Now, by the rules of engagement, the crew of the B-17 had not deserved the mercy that Franz Stigler had shown to them. They had just bombed an aircraft factory in Bremen. And they were enemies at war. But mercy is never deserved. Then it wouldn't be mercy. At the beginning of the service today, we stood here together and admitted that we have broken God's law in our thoughts, in the words that we speak, in all of the actions that we take. We justly deserve God's punishment, now and eternally. And yet we have come here today to stand before God, and we come not trembling, not afraid of God, but in full confidence, asking God once again, for his mercy, asking for God to forgive our sins. And then we hear that proclamation that Christ is given to die for you, for you, for me, for his sake, for the sake of our Lord Jesus. God forgives us all our sins. We read from Revelation today, 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then this, this group, these elders uh, and uh, the four living creatures, they sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And in this reading from Revelation that, that God gave to the Apostle John, the mercy of God is celebrated by these creatures and by these elders. You are bought, it says, with the blood of the Son of God. The price paid for you and for me to be holy, to have our sins forgiven, to have our sins removed from us. The cost of our salvation, the cost of our entrance into heaven is the suffering and the death, the blood of Jesus Christ. And we sing with these four living creatures and with these elders, we sing the praises of our Lord and our Savior. Whenever we sing this song, you probably recognize the words. It's our, this is the feast that we sing in divine service one. We sing, worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain, whose blood set us free to be people of God. Power, riches, wisdom, and strength, and honor, blessing, and glory are His. Blessing, honor, glory, and might be to God and the Lamb forever. Amen. We quote that reading out of Revelation. And so the church on earth who gather together right here join our voices with voices in heaven singing that praise to God. Praise for his great mercy for sending his son to ransom us. God's mercy towards us, undeserved. On that day that Jesus rose from the dead, that first Sunday, that first Easter, the disciples are together and they're in the upper room, we're told, where they had shared the Passover meal with Jesus and they're frightened, they're scared because their leader had been arrested they are probably next. The Sanhedrin is not going to rest having just taken Jesus. They're going to come for them too. They crucified Jesus. What will they do to us, they think? And then Jesus appears in the middle of them. And his first words out of the mouth are not, Hey guys, I'm back. He doesn't even say, Look, I'm alive. He says, Peace be with you. And I don't think he's talking about, uh, don't worry guys, the Sanhedrin are not going to come after you. I don't think he means that. I don't think he means everything's good, guys. You're not going to be in trouble with the Jews. All of these disciples 
had deserted him. This is the last we hear. What, what did we hear about them with Jesus? The last thing was in the garden as Jesus is arrested. And they all flee. They all abandon him, regardless of the fact that they had just made solemn promises to him that none of them would leave him. None of them would fall away. None of them would ever deny him, even if they had to die with him. What are they feeling inside as they huddle there in the upper room? I tend to think about them being afraid of the Jews because that's what we're told. But the real gut-wrenching feeling in them, I think, is their guilt that Jesus, they allowed him to be taken, that they didn't even go and stand at his trial, that at his crucifixion all but John were absent. I think this ate at them. I think that's why they had no peace. What must God think of them? That God put them with Jesus in their minds maybe to help him, to protect him. I'm sure Peter was thinking about that. And they had failed. And now he was dead. And it was over. I think they needed peace. Maybe we've made promises to God like Peter and the other disciples did. Promises never to be that angry again. Promises to never say those words again. Promises to be a better father or mother. A better wife, a better husband. Promises to read the Bible or promises to read it more. Promises to pray or to pray more. And then we slip back into our old habits. And maybe we feel guilty about that. Maybe we wonder sometimes because of those sins or others, what must God think of me? And are these bad things happening to me now? because I haven't come through for God the way that I said I would, the way I promised. Well, God has a word for us this morning. Peace be with you. Peace between you and God. I think that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. He said on the cross, it is finished. And at that point, he had done everything, said everything, suffered everything, bled and paid for everything. Our sins of fleeing before God, our promises broken, all paid for, all wiped clean. Our guilt does not remain. And God is at peace with us. And we are at peace with God because of his great mercy that he demonstrated when the Lamb of God was slain to restore us to him. And I think that this is why Peter threw himself into the sea. Because Jesus had said, peace be with you. Peter was no longer afraid I can imagine that he would be the most afraid because he was the one who said, I'll never leave you. If all the others do, I never will. And then he was the one who denied Jesus three times. 
but he threw himself into the sea to try and get to Jesus. His guilt and his shame had been overcome by God's great mercy. And God's mercy is here for you today as well. And maybe that's even hard to believe. Easy to say, but maybe hard to believe. Deep down there's that feeling in our flesh that we're not worthy of God's mercy and His love. We've rejected Him. We've fallen away. Acted too many times. Said too many things. Lived too often as though we have rejected Him. Turned our back on Him. How can God love someone like me? There's another story about a, a man who took part once in the great persecutions of the church. He had risen up through the ranks and he had become one of those that were in charge of things, overseeing operations throughout the country. His goal was to remove every single trace of Christianity. When a person or a family was denounced as a Christian, he and his squad of, of officers would go to the house, would arrest whoever it was, probably take the whole family and put them in the local prison for interrogation. Because in the interrogation, either willingly or by force, often the family or the person would give up the location of other Christians in the area. At least maybe their secret meeting places. One day with hate of everything Christian still burning in his heart, the mercy of God found this man. He was an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of the church. And it might have seemed good to us and to others if God had found a way to get rid of this man, to uh, maybe have him meet some unfortunate accident or something, so that his persecution of the Christianity of Christians would cease. But God had greater plans for this man, greater grace. Instead of unchecked malice, God showed undeserved mercy. And of course, you know the man's name. His name was Saul. But his name was changed to Paul. And Paul apparently told his story to Luke. And Luke recorded it in his book. The book titled The Acts of the Apostles. And this story is still read by millions of Christians around the world because it's the story of God's great mercy. Mercy that would call an enemy, even one breathing threats against anyone belonging to the way, wishing murder on anyone who belonged to Christ, 
mercy that would call him to be a follower of the way, to be a follower of Jesus. And we read how Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them bound to Jerusalem. Luke says that Paul went on his way. Saul has his own ideas of what, Paul, of what God's plan is. He has papers authorizing him to arrest any Christian he can find. But God is the ultimate authority and he's going to turn Saul from his way and put him on a new way. Make him a believer in the way. Saul meets the resurrected Jesus. And Saul then, who was spiritually blind, became physically blind so that he could see spiritually the risen Christ. He is baptized immediately. And he begins to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God in the local synagogues, proving that Jesus is God's Messiah. The enemy of the way now belongs to and proclaims the way because of God's great mercy. It was nearly 50 years after Franz Stigler had escorted the limping B-17 into friendly airspace that the two pilots found each other. Charles Brown, now in his 70s, had written a letter to a combat pilot association and it was published in the newsletter. And it was about this incident. And Franz Stigler wrote a letter to Charles Brown and said, I was the one. And the two pilots met and it says that they became as close as brothers. They passed away in 2008 within months of each other. God's mercy has found you. In the waters of your baptism, you were found by God. You were brought into his family. And Christ was made your brother. And you were made a follower of the way. The only way to God, your Father. You have received God's mercy. It flows to you because your brother, your Savior, the Lamb of God, has been slain in your place, shedding his blood that cleanses you from all your sin. Your life is no longer your own. You no longer follow your own way but you live as a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are lights in the darkness. You are the temple of God, part of the ransomed people of God. Be merciful to others, 
as you have received mercy. Freely forgive as you have been freely forgiven by God. <coughs> Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.